My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle to me. You're thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay all according to his conduct. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What's the big deal if you miss Mass one Sunday? Is God going to seriously send you to hell for missing Mass one week? I mean, you go during the week when you don't even have to go. And if we have to wait for you to come back and it's going to completely screw up our plans for the day, can't you just miss this once? It sounded so logical, even reasonable. My friends and I were in between our sophomore and junior year of college we had gone down the shore for the weekend. We had summer jobs and had left on a Friday afternoon. And these summer jobs were awful, by the way. I, I was a telemarketer. Yeah, I was one of those people. I was assigned to call farmers and ask them to do a survey about different farming equipment, like tractors and backhoes, you know, stuff that I had zero knowledge and interest in. And this particular Friday had been particularly brutal. How brutal? You want to know how, how brutal it was? All right. Um, it was so bad that I forgot that the, the lady, like the supervisor, would be listening in on your phone calls from time to time. And I got this one guy who finally agreed to, to do a survey. So I was all excited. And I explained, you know, the whole thing. It's about 15 minutes. You'll get a prize. I don't know. Get some seeds. I don't know. Um, get a pig. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm on the phone with him. He's like doing the survey for about five minutes. He goes, so how long is this going to take? I'm like, well, sir, you know, as I explained, it's only about 15 minutes, you know. Yeah, I don't know if I can do this. Are, are you sure? Like, what's going on? Well, I, you know, sir, like, I don't know if I have enough time. That it, so we're going back and forth about this. And finally, I'm going like, um, you did agree to doing this. Like, it's not like I'm, I'm doing something new here. I didn't like, you know, mix this up on you or something like that. And he's like, um, yeah, I, I really don't think I could do this. 
I'm like, all the time we've been arguing, I could have gotten like, the rest of the survey done. So like, he just hung up on the phone. So, all right. All of a sudden, this voice, Mr. Chan. And I'm like, and she's like, you know, come over here. And I'm like, I like, go up. Like, so all the cubicles are there. I go into the center, and like, this lady's there screaming at me, saying, like, you don't talk to people like that. And I'm like, please fire me. And she's like, excuse me? I'm like, I said, I don't have the nerve to quit. I, I can't go home and tell my parents I quit my job, so please fire me. And she just told me to go back to my seat, which like really, really just de- de- depressed the heck out of me. So I don't think I got maybe two surveys. 4.30 could not arrive soon enough so I could just get home, rush home, get changed, wait for my friends to pick me up, get to the Garden State Parkway. We're flying down. We get to that Driscoll Bridge. You know, when you're going up into the clouds, that bridge that, that's that high, you know, it separates from North Jersey from South Jersey because there is no Central Jersey. Um, get over that bridge and it's all brake lights. And like, it's just like no, like no movement at all. A two hour trip to Wildwood is now over four hours. Literally did not get to the shore house till after 930. So now like we're exhausted, we're tired, we're frustrated. We knew we had to make the most out of our Saturday and Sunday hours to get as much sun as possible before that long trek back on Sunday evening. And probably the same ridiculous traffic now going north and now miserable because you had to go back to work and you were sunburned. Anyway, so we had slept in and now it was Sunday morning, it was after 10 a.m. And the next mass was until like 11.30, maybe 12, which meant not getting out till maybe one, by the time we got back, got changed for the beach. It's going to be close to the 1.30. Missed two, three hours of prime beach time. We probably had to leave by 6 o'clock to start heading back home at the latest. So my friend's saying, God will understand if you miss this one weekend. Would God understand? Or I should ask, did God understand? Since, unfortunately, I did give in to peer pressure. Yes, I'm sure that he did. Did I go to confession? Yes. It was years later I, I learned about another sin that I had committed called presumption, where as I was skipping Mass, I was kind of laughing along with a friend of mine who said, if it bothers you that much, don't you have that get out of hell thing? Just go to confession. So I didn't realize that when you commit a sin and you go with that attitude, well, well God's just going to forgive me anyway. That's called presuming God's mercy. That's taking advantage of him. So there's that. And then the fact that my friends pointed out as we're walking to the beach that they never go to Mass. They never go to confession. That just started to help defeat my pride and my ego. I'm already in better shape than they are, so maybe they're right. I'm just overthinking this. Very quickly, one sin had multiplied into at least three. Missing Mass, presumption, and pride. My friends aren't bad people. They were just a bad influence at that moment. And I'm embarrassed that I had succumbed to the peer pressure. I still remember the whole weekend, not because of anything else that happened that whole weekend, but because of this one stupid incident. It bothered me then, and obviously it still does, even though I know I've been forgiven of it. I just know how dramatically stupid the whole thing was. Sin so often begins so seemingly small, somewhat innocent, not too bad. There's worse things we tell ourselves. I didn't kill anyone. Isn't it interesting? We always go to like murder as like the thing that we're comparing it to. That weekend down the shore came to mind, even in this 
COVID year where going down the shore really hasn't happened that much, at least not at all for me. And it's not exactly the normal back to school season and feeling, but I guess just the time of year, feeling the sun and the heat made me think about it, being around college students all the time. I live vicariously through you. I relive my glory days through you. So anyway, but even more reflecting on on this gospel, I love St. Peter probably relate too much to him though because he means well he acts and speaks so often without thinking he hears jesus sharing this very heavy this hard to hear prophecy about himself that his unjust arrest and persecution his his torturous passion his brutal death on the cross are in the future peter's heart is in the right place and you have to love the irony of his words god forbid lord God forbid that happens to you, God. I mean, but, and then he continues, no such thing's ever going to happen to you. And part of the reason this stings so much is because right before this, Simon Peter identified Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells Simon Peter that that's such an insight. That's a blessing that came from God himself. So Jesus sees that potential. He sees that greatness within Simon Peter, a potential, a a greatness that Jesus needs in order to establish his church. So Jesus sees all that, calls him, and changes his name from Simon to Peter with this profession of faith. Here it is just moments later after being affirmed as the one who has this leadership, who has this greatness, who Jesus calls his rock as he chooses Peter as his first pope. And now Jesus has other names for him. Satan, obstacle, not exactly what he was looking for. It seems harsh, but it's not. It's important on a whole lot of levels. Yes, Peter loved Jesus, and Jesus loved Peter. There there was a friendship, there was a care, there was a, a concern and a relationship there. But these two weren't bros or bros. Uh, you know, Peter is Peter because he correctly identifies Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Whether he fully comprehended Jesus being fully human and fully divine yet, probably not. But he's seen the miracles, he's heard the preaching, he's experienced and encountered God incarnate in ways that have captured his his mind and his heart. And so now Jesus is getting reflective. He's getting serious. He's talking about how they're going to crucify him. It's not like Jesus is having a bad day, that he's having like a a pity party thinking, oh, no one likes me. No one understands me. I bet they're going to kill me. No, he's saying like, you know, this is what's happening. He's not looking for his bro to say, come on, that's not true. Jesus is the Christ has done nothing but speak truth to them. And he doesn't give in to self-pity. He's explaining his mission, and he's clarifying the reality of his identity and Peter's identity. And with that clarity, he's pointing out that, that Peter's revulsion to what Jesus is saying is sinful. It's dressed up as compassion. Peter may have had good intentions, most likely he did, But none of that diminishes the fact that 
Peter is denying God's plans. He's undermining God's will. Peter is saying he knows better than Jesus Christ, which whenever you find yourself in that spot, that's really not a good place to be. It's always going to be wrong and sinful. Peter should have looked at the others, the other 11 who were probably speechless at the moment, and followed their example. Whether it was my foolishness in college giving into peer pressure or St. Peter's misguided compassion, the sin is attacking the heart of discipleship. How often do we want discipleship to fall into our schedules? That we want Jesus to conform to our expectations. We sometimes don't even realize that we're doing that. That's how sneaky the devil is in in twisting things. Just enough that we can justify, we can start making excuses for it. And it's completely backwards. But Jesus makes sure that we don't miss his message, telling us discipleship entails denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. That means, yes, getting to Mass on Sunday. That means following him when we leave this place and eventually going with him to Calvary ourselves. It sounds hard because it is. That's why that first reading today from the Old Testament is so perfect from the the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah's experience, what it's like to align ourselves to God's will, to let him set the schedule and the expectations. He says, you duped me, and I let myself be duped. I'm an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. He's complaining about following God. Being a prophet is tough when you're telling people stuff that they really don't want to hear. He's lost friends. He's being treated badly. It's not a good time. Yet my favorite part is that Jeremiah is not only truthful and honest, despite all those challenges When he's tempted to give up, to just go along with everyone else, he can't. His conscience gets to him, as he puts it. It becomes like a fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. Trying to rebel against God's word and speaking God's word, he says, I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. There's something beautiful hearing such honesty and such passion. Jeremiah knows it's tough. The same is true for Peter and for each and every one of us. The struggle is real. More than just getting to Mass every Sunday, more than just going to confession on a regular basis, being a Catholic Christian in our world, in our country, on our campus, is hard. In truth, as much as it has become a work of art, though, a symbol and something that we have great reverence for. No one likes the cross. And the world around us is more actively than ever attacking it as a symbol, even more so than in in recent memory. But even before the more current visible attacks, the world has constantly been trying to water down the cross and tempt us to not embrace the fullness of what that symbol really means. What makes the cross beautiful, what makes the cross beautiful, worthy of our reverence and our adoration is what Jesus has done on the cross. In Jesus, the cross is the means by which he completely transforms the world, changes history forever, 
with the new life of the resurrection, making the possibility of our experiencing eternal life with his victory over the cross. As his disciples, that's the good news that Jesus expects us to share. It's that example that Jesus expects us to follow in our acts of sacrificial love, in in our acts of self-denial, in our turning away from sin, in all the things of this world that tempts us to focus on the here and now, on this world. When we start to do that, then we actualize what St. Paul was saying in that second reading to the Romans. We become a living sacrifice. We become holy and pleasing to God. We discern the will of God and become good and pleasing and even perfect.